Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Youth Pastor Blake Bells. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Good morning. Um, most of you all know that I was uh, I was in the army. I was in the army through college, and then uh, six years after college. And what a lot of you don't know, um, however, is that you know I'm not real excited about this. And I know that a lot of you will may think a little less of me, and I'm not proud of it. But uh, there was a time there where um, where I, I considered joining the air force. Yeah, I'm. Uh, not proud of it, but uh, it did, you know, it did happen, and uh, I just, I have a little bit of a, um, I'm, it's probably based out of insecurity, obviously, but I have a little bit of a tough guy complex, <laughs> and, um, and then my, so I, I remember going, and I was talking about the Air Force, and then, um, and I, and I had been talking back and forth with um, recruiters, and, and I was at University of Louisville, and I was going through there, was looking at their officer candidate program, and there was um, a guy that really fed into that um, that need to feel tough, and he was a master sergeant. He had been a jump master, a paratrooper, and was in the infantry for a long time, and he was one of the guys, um, and I was in his office, and he just had all this paratrooper memorabilia, and basically, you're nothing if you don't jump from planes, and, and um, he really spoke into me a lot, and um, you know, and told, told me, you know, if you want to join the chair force, I mean the air force, then you can go ahead and do that. Um, but uh, anyway, so he, you know, he was getting into, and then the thing was, is um, he, he noticed that like that I was really needed that like to feel tough, you know, and, um, and so he basically talked about, you know, we're going to do this, you sign, and he said, you know, there's a certain group that we're going to send to paratrooper school, and I, and I know that you're interested in that. If you sign here, you go ahead and contract, we're going to put you on that list to go to airborne school. And, I, and he said, you know, he was just t- talking it up, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to make you a lean, mean fighting machine, and you're going to jump from 1,200 feet. And as he's talking, like, I'm thinking I, like, picked up, like, a little jog, just kind of staring at him, you know, because I was, like, I just needed that. I needed to feel that, right? So then, of course, I signed the papers. So about two months later, I find myself at Fort Benning. Um, and it turns out there's some pretty tough dudes in the Air Force, too. Because when, when I was at Fort Benning, I was at the paratrooper school. But the, um, there was actually, there was Air Force guys there. There were mar- recon Marines. There was guys training to be Navy SEALs. And we were all in this same group together. And it was a very humbling experience. And I remember um, a commander, a company commander, a captain, came up to us, because we were officer candidates there, man, and we were called cadets, and, and you know, and the understanding was is that if there was anyone that knew less than a private in the United States Army, it was a cadet, and they called us cadidiots, okay? So that was us, and I remember this captain coming up to me, and when he walked up, it was like the seas parting, and him, him walking up, he had this maroon beret, because he was a, over a company commander over a paratrooper unit, and he pulled us cadets together, the cadidiots, and he said, listen up. You all are supposed to be future leaders in the United States Army. He said, but here, this is probably going to be a humbling experience for you. And he said, I want you to understand this. You all need to understand that you need to be humble leaders. And the greatest leaders understand how to follow. And he said, and he said these exact words. He said, and the greatest leader to ever walk this earth was Jesus Christ. And he was a servant leader. If you want to lead, it starts with being humble. I want you all to understand being humble leaders. And thankfully, he was nice enough to humble us while we were there at Airborne School, and so were the, so were the guys that were much tougher than us. 
But, I mean, I can just only thank my mom and dad and for you parents out there praying for your kids who are going off military, college, job field, whatever. Man, I think those prayers mean something because who would have thought that in this time, I thought I was going to learn to, you know, train, jump from 1,200 feet, just, just all this cool stuff. But what I was getting taught was humble leadership. And I think that there's just some incredible um, power in praying for your, your children as they go out into the world. And I know my parents were praying for me, so I want to encourage you in that. But also, humble leadership isn't just for me. It's not just for church leaders. It's for every single follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter takes it so important to take this chapter 5 that we're going to look at today. This is our last week in our, in our series, Meant to Live. And we're going to go through this. And he talks about humble leadership and what that looks like as a Christian. And we're going to get that in that today. This is going to be 1 Peter 5. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Um, this is page... Uh, 1016 in the book under your seats and the Bible under your seat. If you would, please stand as we read from God's word. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus... Savanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. God, we ask that you will guide us through the, the teaching of your word. I pray that you will move me aside in any pride and um, in anything, we'll just move it aside and speak through me, God. I pray for everyone in here that we will receive the word that you have for us. We ask that you add your blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. I thank you for your love. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, um, first of all, Air Force, I'm joking, I love you guys. We definitely need the Air Force. Second of all, he addresses church leaders. Okay, he addresses church leaders. That's the first thing he hits, is church leaders. And, and what he says here is he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And when he says elders here, he's talking, we, we see elders as, you know, our overseers. And that's exactly what he's talking about, is overseers. But he also, anyone with spiritual authority in the church is what he's referring to here. This goes from children's ministry to youth ministry to, um, to, leading, um, to, to leading the greeting team, whatever. If you have authority in the church, then he's addressing you. He's addressing this right here, and he's saying what we are supposed to do. And he's not only saying that, but he's saying, I've been in your shoes. Not just I've been in your shoes, but I'm currently in your shoes. I, 
I also have joined you in the suffering, being a partaker in the suffering, but then also the glory to come, which is awesome. But this is Peter saying, I'm, I'm with you in this. And I want to address this. It says in 1 Peter 2-3, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And while this was directed, at this time it was directed to church leadership, it says, shepherd the flock that is among you. And we all have some sort of span of influence. Fast forward, you know, the, what I was talking about in the army, if you fast forward that time frame, about four or five years, I found myself, I was a company commander, and I had a first sergeant. Um, I, I get it only one uh, military story per sermon, give me a break. So we were, um, I had a first sergeant who was new to the unit, and I had a couple soldiers that were new to the unit. So I had a, um, an E6, a staff sergeant who was, or, um, sorry, yeah, E6. And he came in, and then my first sergeant was there. So you had these two first, first weekends together, and, and he said, um, the first sergeant was in the office, First Sergeant Arnold, and then the soldier came through. Well, he was, it was in agreement. He was going to take off a little early that day, and you had to sign out. So he asked him, he said, who's got your soldiers? Who, who are you in charge of? And then that, you know, this E6 in the Army, he, he responds with, me. I'm in charge of me. Well, that was the wrong answer to this first sergeant because in his head, he's like, I haven't been just in charge of me since I was a private in the Army. Because the way the Army is set up is you're a private, and then as soon as you make rank above private, you have a span of influence of leadership throughout your entire career. You're in charge of somebody Okay, you're in charge of a group of people. And I believe, I really believe that that is the way God's plan is for his church. We, he, you receive salvation, okay, and there's a growing period, a few months, some, for some people it's a year, whatever. But at, at some point, you are supposed to start discipling people as well. I think we are supposed to grow it. God, his, he's about multiplication. He's about disciples that then make disciples. And while we're doing that, we submit to a leadership and authority, Okay, me, I submit, to, I submit to the elders, I submit to the, the pastor, and then I also have other spiritual people that I go to for advice. And if any of them want to correct me or direct me with scripture, then I'm going to listen to that and hear them out. But at the same point, God has also called me to, to have a span of influence. And each one of you have a span of influence, whether that is um, at your workplace, whether that is a group of people that you just, you know that you've got three people on your phone that you encourage regularly, that you send text to, and that you minister to, or if that is um, your family, you know, you've got a family that you're supposed to be leading and discipling. Either way, he says, shepherd your flock. And all of us have a span of influence. It is directed towards church leaders originally, but this is just full of application for everybody in this room. And he says, how do we do this? He says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We're not doing it for shameful gain. And it's just, at, this, at that time, to be a Christian leader, you know, was, there, was no, there was no gain in that, okay? There was, there was sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice. So, it's not for your own glory. And he says we are supposed to lead by example. We are supposed to display the love of Christ in our lives. We are supposed to lead by example. And he mentions the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, and if he's the chief shepherd, then we all have a spiritual authority. Him being the chief shepherd, we are supposed to shepherd our flock looking to the chief shepherd. And his example is this, found in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of God, or the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom of many, or for a ransom for many. That's Jesus. In John 13, 15, he says, For I have give, given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
So they have a picture of Jesus, and that's our picture, a servant leader, a leader that is humble. That's what we're supposed to be looking at. And Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter has made it clear throughout 1 Peter through the text that there is suffering. Christians will experience suffering, but he also makes it clear and said this through multiple chapters that there is suffering, but then glory to come. Suffer now, glory to come. And that's what he says here when he says, um, 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. There is a reward system based on our performance here as Christians and our performance as leaders in his church and as spiritual leaders in our lives. Our salvation is not based on works, but he has given us an understanding that there is a reward system in heaven and in glory to come. And that's something that we should be looking forward to and excited about because we should look at future reward, not reward and glory here on this earth because none of it will satisfy. Then he goes on to 1 Peter 5.5. 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When he says likewise, he says you in the same way. In the same way, leaders should be humble Followers should be humble too. We should all have humility. And he's saying being a good leader is hard, but so is being a good follower. And we should ask ourselves, am I easy to lead? How easy of a person am I to lead? When people tell me something, do I listen? Do I carry out exactly what they said? Do I pay attention? Do I question authority constantly? Does, does someone in leadership always have to give an explanation to me when they tell me to do something? Or do I just do it out of obedience? Because we're called to be good followers, just like we're called to be good leaders. And he says, he says this, he says, we are supposed to be easy to lead. And then he gets into 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, and then there's a shift. So he's addressed how we are supposed to be humble leaders and humble followers. He's addressed this, how we are supposed to be. But then he takes and he starts addressing humility. He really hits home with humility. And I want us all to focus on this. It says, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. Humility, humility, humility. It's so important. It's so important as Christians that we are humble. And as Christians, okay, it should be one of our, one of our main things that we're focusing on is humility. And I can tell you in my life, God has, God has brought me to points of humility in my life. There's different times where I can see where pride is an issue and still can be an issue. And that's why he takes us through a humbling process, okay? Because he wants to use us, but he has to use us he needs humble leaders and followers to use. So the only way to make us humble sometimes is to allow us, go through, to allow us to go through a period of trials to get us to where we are at a point where we say, I need you, God. I can't do this without you. And that's the humility that it creates within us. And that's what he has planned for us. And the question when you look at this is you may say, okay, if humility is that, much of, that important, then why is it not one of our core values? Because what are we as as, as in our church, we are disciples. We're called to be family, right? We're called to be missionaries, but then we're also called to be worshipers. And the very heart of worship is humility. And if we're called to be worshipers, then we have to be humble. If you think about what worship is, worship is when we go before God in a posture of humility, and we are saying, God, you are in control of all things. In fact, you could do my life much better than me. 
a life that I am in control in is going to be a lot worse than any life that you're in control in. So when we worship, if you don't know, the reason we raise our hands is because it is an act of surrender. I give you my life, God, because you can do my life better than I can do my life. You can use me better than I can use me. You take the reins. And that's why we raise our hands in humble worship before God. And before looking at this, when I think of the opposite of worship, I think of complaining, right? But if worship is humility, then the opposite of worship is actually pride. It's pride. And pride is an issue. And that's why he says God opposes the proud because it's an issue. Pride is an issue in leadership. Pride is an issue in the church community. You know, but it's, it's the opposite. And I don't believe, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and I think part of being a pastor is trying to see the best in people, and I try to see the best in people, and I really believe that most people don't wake up saying, how can I be a dirtbag today? You know, I, I really believe that Christians don't wake up saying, man, if, how can I be prideful today? That would just, that would just be great. You know, but then enter Satan, okay? Satan has ways of causing us to be prideful. And that's why he talks about the lion here. Verses 5, 8 through 9. We're skipping around a little bit, so bear with me. It says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And when I look at this, without understanding everything that's being discussed, I just look at it as sin. You know, Satan's prowling around, and he's trying to, trying to throw sin at us, and he's trying to, trying to wipe us out. Those that aren't Christians, he doesn't want us to receive Jesus. Those of us that have received Jesus, he tries to get us to, to continue to sin so that we can't be used as well or, or whatever. But then it's about pride. Okay, it's about pride. He does whatever he can to cause us to be prideful. Okay, and it is about sin. That's a, that's a fair application because Proverbs 21, 4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. So it is about sin, but it starts with pride. And what does he do to cause pride in us? Insecurities. Just like I said, insecurities. When I, when I started the message, I had insecurities. That's why I needed to feel a tough guy ego in my life because it, it's based out of insecurities. And that's what he does. The first thing he addresses, okay, is he tries to make you feel like, you know, are you really saved by grace through faith? Are you really good enough? Because here's the thing. The second we try to do something on our own, that is pride stirring up in us. The second you think that you could achieve salvation or you can follow these lines or do this, to get to be in God's good favor because of your actions, it is pride. And that's the first thing that he addresses. But most church leaders, most of us, you're not going to be able to convince me that I've got to do good works to get to heaven. I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. So what does Satan attack me with? He attacks me with things that stir up anxiety within me. Anxiety within me. Because in my, in my heart, I want to serve God. And in our hearts, we want to get up and we want to worship God, right? But then he puts anxiety in us to where we start to try to just, you know, I want to follow God's will. I want to do what God says. But then the second I make it about myself because things aren't aligning the way that I want them to, pride stirs up in me and I try to do it without God. And the more pride rises, the more anxiety rises. And the more anxiety puts on us, we cling to something, trying to fix it for ourselves instead of handing it over to God. And that Satan's plan is to get you to hang on to your anxieties instead of handing them over to God. And that's where we find ourselves 
And, and I'm telling you, I've, uh, it's a lot about the way that we look at things. When he says a lion, it doesn't say he is a lion. It says he's like a lion, okay? And if you take me and put me in a cage with a lion, then I'm going to find out real quickly that I have no defense. And this picture of being in front of a lion lets you know that there is only one way you can be saved from a lion. And that is if something bigger and more powerful than yourself comes in and saves you. And that's exactly how we're supposed to view Satan. He, without God, only through God, would be able to be saved from the claws of Satan. And that's how we should be humble, understanding that nothing that I have done has saved me, but only Jesus Christ. And the issues that I face in my life, I can only be saved through him. And here's the thing. He says to put on humility, to clothe ourselves with humility. And there's a correlation between humility and anxiety. Look at verses 6 and 7. A lot like the ESV has a space, or it has a period, between verses 6 and 7. The ESV, I like how it just goes on with commas. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Okay, now if you remove what's in those commas, the therefore under the mighty hand of God part, and just look at what is being said, it says, humble yourselves, casting all your anxieties on him. What is that telling us? There's a correlation between humble ourselves and casting our anxieties. Okay? To put on humility is to take off anxiety. Do you see that? To put on humility is to take off anxiety. You cannot be humble and carry anxiety at the same time. Because when you carry anxiety, that's pride saying, I can take care of this, and I'm not going to give it over to God. But we're supposed to put on humility, right? We're supposed to put it on. Okay, so look at this jacket. We're going to say this is humility, right? Thus the holes. Do you see? That's humble. It's a humble jacket, okay? So we've got a humble jacket here, and I'm supposed to put this on. I'm supposed to put on humility. I'm a Christian leader, right? We're called to be leaders and put on humility. We're supposed to clothe ourselves with this. But it's kind of hard to put on humility when we're carrying anxiety like this. Do you see that? We start to carry anxiety and we can't let it go. And the anxiety that it puts, Satan puts stuff in our heads. Like I said before, is this still working? Yeah, we're good. So like I said before, Satan puts this in our head. I don't think the Christians wake up saying, I would like to be a hypocrite today. But what we do is, is we go into church on Sunday and we're like, oh, God, I give you everything. I worship you and I want people to know that I'm a Christian and I'm a follower of Christ and I'm going to put this humility on. But we don't want to let go of our anxiety. Okay, this is not a good look for me. Okay, does this look appealing to anyone? Okay, how appealing do you think our lives look when we carry all this anxiety and then try to claim humility in Jesus Christ? Okay, because if you can't put down humility and you hang on to anxiety, the result is hypocrisy. Okay, and I don't think we wake up wanting to be hypocrites, but the reality is, is if I'm trying to be humble and tell everyone I'm a Christian, but I carry all this anxiety around, that's what they get. I go to work and I'm supposed to be someone that no matter what, I'm not in this world, I'm, I'm of this world, but, or I'm in it, but not of it, and, and God is more important, what goes on in the spiritual realm is more important, but then the first thing that throws my plans off, I flip out over, which happens on a regular basis, okay, transparency, I live like this like 80% of my life, <laughs> okay, I, I walk around like this, and then we get home, and we're carrying all this anxiety, and we've told our kids we're children, and we love Jesus, and it's all about showing God's love, but then we flip out over the smallest things because we're carrying all this anxiety, and we look like hypocrites 
because we have to hand it over to him. We have to hand over the anxiety. And what we have a tendency to do, this could be the issue. We'll go this way. Um, what, we have an in, what we have a tendency to do, it's an extra large. What we have a tendency to do is, um, is we, we, we carry this anxiety, right? And it says, cast your anxieties on him. But what do we have a tendency to do? We like to cast our anxieties on our spouse, on our children, on our coworkers, right? I come home and I'm just, I'm carrying all this anxiety and I'm like, I love you, I love you guys, but my actions say something completely different and I just drop my anxiety on Nikki, on my spouse. I just, here, you have that. But here's the thing, if you cast your anxieties on a person rather than the creator of all things, what you're doing is, is you're just now leaving them with anxiety and you're still carrying it as well. We're still carrying it, right? And a lot of us, maybe it's not our spouses, but guess what? We're going we're gonna to claim Christianity, but then we're just going to go ahead and give it to, you know, we're going to put it on Facebook. Here, you hold this anxiety for me. I'm just going to throw that on you. Okay, and we look like hypocrites, right? Because now Eric's stressed out because I'm, I'm just like blasting and complaining on Facebook. And we look like hypocrites because we can't even control our own words and our actions because we cannot let go of the issues that are in front of us that God says, give them to me. And we are stressed out. We live stressed to the max when we should be giving it to him. But what does it say? It says, cast all your anxieties on him. We should be leaving it at the altar. Okay, think about this. What would your family dynamic look like? Would your kids and your coworkers even recognize you if you took your time to cast your anxieties on Jesus Christ in the car before you get to work or before you get home? Would you even be recognizable if you, he says, cast your anxieties on him. That means when you are driving home from work, you tell God about your issues at work. You give it, you hand it over to him. And when you hand those anxieties over, you are then able to put on humility because you have understood that the only way to be saved from the lion is by the creator and the owner of all things. It says he has dominion over the world. To all the glory be the one who has dominion over the world, God He's the only one that can save us, and that is humility. That is the humble leaders we are supposed to be. We can't be humble leaders unless we first are able to hand over the anxieties. And as Christian leaders, we start looking at church numbers. We look at church growth, and am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And then we get stressed out, and these people aren't doing enough. This person's not doing enough. And instead of it being focused on what God is doing and what we are listening to and pursuing what God has, it's, it's then it's just a blame game or it's, or it's a matter of what can I do. And for me, I literally have a list in my phone, okay? And, it, and I've been advised to change the name or something, but it was, it was called dropping the ball. <laughs> That's my list. It's a, it's a phone and it's basically every area of my life that I feel like I could be doing better. I've got a list for, um, for what I could be doing at home better, what I could be doing with my kids better, my wife, um, youth ministry, church ministry, and at work, and it's called dropping the ball, <laughs> And I feel like God looks at that list on my phone, and what he's saying is, is that list is all about you. What you can do to fix your problems. When are you going to hand it over to me? And it's really just a mindset, because the issues that created that list will still be there. But when I changed the name of that from dropping the ball to to opportunities that God wants to save me from, to opportunities that God wants to lift me out of, all of a sudden it becomes a shift and it becomes all about what God's going to do through it instead of what I can do on my own. And that's what makes us humble leaders. That's what creates humility in our households, is understanding how we can be humble through that. You see, Peter mentions anxiety because he assumes and knows 
anxiety is coming, it will happen to believers. It's inevitable. He mentions pride because he knows that this is the cause of a lot of anxiety. And he mentions humility because we have to hand our humility over to God. Humility says, hand anxiety to God. Pride says, hang on to your anxiety. And that just causes pain to you. Hanging on to anxiety does not change the outcome. It just hurts your family dynamic. It just hurts your work dynamic. It hurts your witness. It says, cast all your anxieties on him. I love verse 6. It says, talks about the mighty hand of God. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And see what the lion does, what Satan does. The reason it says that is because he wants to stir up doubt in you to where you feel like the mighty hand of God is pressing down on you because you're not doing enough. Pride says the mighty hand of God is down on you because you need to do more, you need to do more, you need to do more. But humility says hand it over to God and let the mighty hand of God lift you up. Take on your anxieties and lift you up. And that's what it says. And it echoes this in James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And now we get to the point where it says, here's the, here's the exciting point, 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11, it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When you are able to hand over your anxieties, he says he will then restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Okay? The one who called you to glory, he called you, okay? Look at that. That is a personal thing. He called you to glory. And the one who calls you to glory promises to get you to glory. He will carry you there. He is going to take you there. And when I see the way that's worded, okay, I have to look at Romans 8.30 that says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Where am I in that text? I'm just at the receiving end through all of that. I give nothing and receive everything. That's the incredible grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? And then when I see the way that's worded, it says, will himself restore. Christ will himself restore. That takes me back to Genesis 22. When Abraham is asked to do the craziest of things, when he's asked to sacrifice his son, God says, sacrifice Isaac. And he takes Isaac up and and he's ready to sacrifice him. And he takes his son, his only son, and, he, and he's on the altar, and he's ready to, ready to take the knife down. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord stops him and provides the sacrifice. Okay, that's a picture of what Jesus is for us. That's a picture of anxiety. Could you imagine the anxiety that Abraham had? Or did he have anxiety? Because here's what he says when Isaac, okay, poor Isaac, at this point, commentators say he could be anywhere from 12 to 20 years old. We don't know exactly how old he was, but he was coherent. He was sharp, sharp enough to know, um, I see stuff for fire, I see wood, where's the lamb at? And dad, why do you keep tearing up every time you look at me? Okay, so he's seeing this, Genesis 22, 7 through 8, Isaac says to his father, father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, go, or God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. He will provide for himself. Abraham could have had anxiety, but instead he handed it over to God, knowing that God would provide himself. And we get this beautiful picture in Genesis 22 of what Jesus would do for every single one of us. He sent his son to die for us so that we can receive salvation through him. He provided for himself 
a way, and he provided for you a way to heaven. You don't do the work. Instead, you believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross through his life, death, burial, and then his resurrection. Through that, we have salvation, and that is the only thing we should have pride in, is pride in Jesus Christ, knowing that he loved you enough to go to a cross for you, knowing that God loved you enough to send his son for you. It is not our works. It is everything that he did. Nothing that we can boast about, nothing that we can have pride about, nothing we should feel ashamed about, any insecurities. Anytime the devil tells you you can't do something and tries to put anxiety on you, it's not me, it's all God. He is going to carry me and I'm going to give it over to him. I'm going to give him my anxieties. I'm going to give everything to him. And I love how it says in verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, you would have plenty of reason to fear the lion if you didn't know the lion's owner. Okay, the lion's owner who controls everything, who controls the whole universe. We can rest in that. And then Peter closes out in chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. He says this, and I'm just going to say this from verse 12. He says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the true grace of God. This is what it's been all about through the whole series is that Christians will experience suffering. Christians will experience anxiety. But we are supposed to live our lives for God, giving him all the glory, and we will receive glory just like Jesus suffered. And then he died and rose, and now he's glorified in heaven. We will receive glory in heaven as well. We have an incredible gift coming to us. Before I close out, I do want to address Peter's life. You know, we're talking about Peter and, and how dedicated he was to this. You know that Peter, you know, this, he went on also to write Second Peter, but then Peter, he also would die, and he knew he would die. He makes that very clear in, um, in 2 Peter 1, 13 through 15. He says, and I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. You see, Jesus kind of pointed to the direction of his fate in John 21, 18 through 19. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John, writing this, and seeing this after the fact was able to see that this was him talking about the death of Peter. Jesus was foreseeing it. And then John writes this, he said, to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That was Jesus' punch. Or that, was Jesus's, uh, that was his recruiting tool. You're going to die. Come follow me. And Peter, even knowing that was his fate, chose to follow Jesus. Why did he do that? Because he knew Jesus. He met him. He saw him face to face. And he understood the grace that Jesus offered and the life change that he had. And he had, he, he's, for him, there was no choice in that but to go to the cross dying. And if you look at those different speculations of how Peter died, people say that he was on a cross, upside down on a cross. But it's clear through history, through historians, that he definitely did die a martyr's death in Rome. We don't know definitely how. I wouldn't fight for that. But I do know that Peter went to his death defending the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knew that this is what it was to follow him. When he says suffering now, glory to come, he wasn't playing around. And for us as Christians, we have to look at our lives. Do we live with anxiety to where this stresses us out all the time? 
Am I living a life that says I'm willing to die for God, even though his call is to follow me and I could die? Because for me, I say that, but in my pride, what do I do? I start to try to take on things on my own, okay? And I, and I say this, I say, yeah, that's going to work. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, my, my car's overheating or my battery dies. And I'm like, I don't get it. I've, 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 I've done my devotional. I've prayed, God, why? My, car, my car's broke down. Why? The AC's not working. God, why have you forsaken me? That's how we are. But here, Paul was willing to go to the cross and die for his faith. Man, he was sold out. We as Christians, we were meant to live for something higher than ourselves. We were meant to live serving him. And everyone in this room, we're getting ready to close out. We're going to close out this series, meant to live. And if it's been speaking to you, then I just want you to give it to God. Just give it to God. If you've been carrying anxiety that you know has been keeping you from being the person God has called you to be, then let it go. Hand it over to God. His arms are open. He's willing to take it on. It's better to cast your anxieties on the creator of the universe than to put them on someone that you know or to hang them onto yourself that's just going to eat away at you. Give everything to God, whether it's money issues, whether you are, if you're concerned about your salvation, then get up here and tell somebody, and we will tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ and how he did the work for you. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we love you, and um, I hope that we've clearly articulated what you wanted us to from this series through 1 Peter. God, I believe that you have called Christians to, to an incredible glory, but there is some, there's some work to be done here before we get there, Father. First of all, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve and work for you, Lord. We thank you for your love and the peace that you offer through Jesus Christ. And Lord, anyone in this room that is struggling with anxiety, that is struggling with handing their concerns over to you, Father, and they are trying to trying to handle things in their own strength, especially if they're looking at salvation in heaven and thinking they have to earn this, Father, I pray that you will pierce their hearts and their minds right now and let them know that they can put that in the mighty hand of God so that you can lift them up. I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room that, 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 we, that we listen to your Holy Spirit and that we respond, if you are pressing in on our hearts, Lord, we respond to you in the name of Jesus, that, that we will hand over our anxieties, our cares. Lord, we have people that are desperately in need of our leadership. And we have leaders that are exhausted because we haven't been following the way that we should be. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be the humble leaders and followers that you've called us to be. We pray that we will live the way that you have called us to live, that we can live the way that we were meant to. We love you, Jesus. Use us. Use Forward Church. Amen.